We're the West Slot Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuz-Gauspo. Well, guys, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Um, a, a lot kind of going on in, in the sports world. Uh, a little basketball going on. We had a little two-game win streak by the men. And a really cool documentary the Big Ten Network put on last night. We'll talk about all that in a little bit. Uh, but as we are now just a couple of weeks away from the Super Bowl, Scuzz, I, I, I hate to bring this up. I don't want to, you know, you know, poke at sore wounds, but you doing all right, bud? <sighs> uh, I'm not quite down to the label yet of my beer, so I don't think I can talk about this until later <laughs> in the pod. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, well, we'll 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 leave that alone for now. But uh, you know, I guess to jump right in, uh, Northwestern finishing a season sweep of Minnesota, uh, going up to Minneapolis through what I sounded like was a pretty gnarly snowstorm. They couldn't go up until like the morning of the game, uh, and you know, coming out with a win, uh, sweeping the Gophers, and uh, you know, we're now at. Four and five in the conference, thirteen and nine overall. I was kind of looking at the the schedule moving forward. Um, you know, two of our next three games against Michigan, which is going to be rough, uh, and then a game at Wisconsin, a Wisconsin team that is not nearly as good as they have been in years past. So, um, you know, Michigan is it's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge, and you know, to see him like twice in a, a week is. Uh, It'll be interesting, um, but yeah, going back to the the Cats' win over Penn State and then uh, at Minnesota, things seem to be starting to come together a little bit. I don't know. Well, it helps when you when you play a team where you know the coach has has professed that uh, you know what can he do? He's just a basketball coach. So um, <laughs> I mean, I, I would expect us to beat that that kind of a team that has uh, no you know a vacuum of leadership. Um, calling the shots on the sideline you sure you didn't chug down to the label already there scuzz (laughs) (laughs) rick patino jr is like number one on my list right now i was gonna say this is scuzz at his most restrained so i don't know the uh it's funny though like it's kind of it's kind of like richard patino jr like if you're just a basketball coach well you ain't winning so what would you say you do here then if if you profess that literally the only thing you bring to the table is the X's and O's of basketball, uh, <laughs> then what what are you doing? Um, but in any case, uh, we we digress. Um, yeah, I think again, it's it's tough to know, and you don't you kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit because this is um, you know to an extent Minnesota is the cure for what ails us because as we've kind of alluded this team is a little bit of a mess um and then kind of the other part of it is i mean yes this game was on the road yes we kind of gritted it out um but you know minnesota led for a while in this game we kind of regained the lead you know late it was tight up until relatively late into the second half so you know it's it's good because this is a team that really needed some positive momentum. A road win is a road win. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden we've put two together, three of our last five. But, um, you know, we're based on everything we've seen thus far, I think we're still feeling like, 
you know, this team's not all the way there. I was pretty interested in, in some stats that I think you, Sam, pulled out uh, from somewhere about just the, the changes in, in how Northwestern has done in the paint uh, this year versus last year, both offensively and defensively. And one thing I noticed against Minnesota, I thought we were a lot better in the lane. Uh, particularly, I thought um, you know, uh, Scotty Lindsay was able to get to the hoop a little bit more. Um, I, Brian McIntosh, to my eye this year, just seems to be he, – he doesn't seem to be uh, as willing to drive or maybe the openings just aren't there for him. Defenses perhaps are – uh, targeting that that part of his game, you see him kind of tr- start to drive and then pull out quite a lot. Um, he had uh, down the stretch a couple of key baskets um, where he where he did attack the lane and attack the paint and was able to score. So uh, that I mean that's a really huge uh, impactor for for the Cats, especially given. Um, some of the trends compared to last year. Yes, you you mentioned that those those stats, and that, I pulled that from an article on the Athletic, and it's really interesting. Um, you know, when when you compare, and what they were doing was looking at uh, Northwestern shot uh, pr- field goal percentage uh, for and against inside five feet of the hoop. So you're talking about you know down low, you know getting to the basket, you know a lot of what you expect from Pardon or if you're charging the lane. Um, so last year, uh, we made 59% of shot attempts within five feet of the basket in big 10 play, and we're giving up 54%. Uh, this year so far, we're shooting 48% and giving up 64%. So, uh, differentiation is, is huge. And that also goes to, uh, the point I made, I think either last week or the week before in, in the foul, dif- uh, the foul discrepancy, uh, the free throw, uh, differentiation because you know you know when you're char- when you're really cutting to the hoop you're going to get fouled a lot more we're not doing that we're not playing around the basket and therefore we're not getting uh we're not getting calls we're not drawing fouls we're not getting to the line um and we're you know we're losing games some some of the tight games we you know flip that around a little bit we get to the line a little bit a little bit more maybe we win obviously you know, you look back to uh, uh, what was that game earlier that, you know, who were we playing that they only made like five free throws all night? And was that uh, DePaul, I think? Yeah, where they shot just on, like if they if they were even competent from the free throw line, they yeah. win that game. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, that's something that we haven't really talked a lot about. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we've talked, you know, we talk about, Sanjay Lumpkin not being around anymore. Nate Taphorn not being around anymore. Taphorn wasn't really known for you know under under the, the basket D, but uh, but but you those stats you cited. I mean, like that the, the drop off on the defensive side is pretty stark as well. Yeah, and I mean that's that is Sanjay Lumpkin in a nutshell. He was awesome on the front line defending the hoop, and I I also think his presence made Derek Pardon's job a lot easier as well. I think it's tough too because. One thing I think, you know, if we look last season, obviously you have BMAC is a real catalyst offensively. He gets a lot of things going, but I don't think that this team certainly didn't have the MO last season of a team where one guy was going to pour in a bunch of buckets. I mean, it's funny, like this season, I think everyone's mind is kind of on that a little bit more than normal just because Trey Young is just like, like pouring as this giant vat of points that he's just pouring in every night. But 
it kind of gets you thinking, you know, like, well, who do we go to for a bucket? Who's the guy in any given night? And, you know, I guess if, if you kind of have to pull out, I guess, isolate someone this season, it's a healthy Vic Law. But it really can be anybody in a given night. But we don't really have anyone where you're like, all right, this guy can reliably pour in points game in and game out. Last season, we really got it done in from a kind of balanced perspective. It worked because the defense was so well, good. Well, Sc- Scotty, though, I mean, when he wasn't when he wasn't suffering like dealing with the mono. Remember, he went out with mono. He'd been averaging twenty. Right. Well, so I mean, that's true. I mean, he he was pretty good, right? And then the the mono did mess with him a little bit. But a I guess with bit. the what? No, you're right. No, you're right. You're right. And I mean, like obviously, we all can think back to the time when Scotty wasn't in. Uh, that stretch of games when we were all dying for us to pick up those couple of wins that we needed. But I guess my point is we don't have someone that I feel like is just capable of 100% getting the buckets every time he, he wants it. And I think down the stretch, and especially when we got into the tournament, it felt like that was McIntosh. And yeah. McIntosh really was that guy for a couple of games. And this year, he's kind of struggled under that. I think because he probably... I think there was such an implicit expectation that he was going to be the bell cow this year. And he's kind of has never been quite where he wants to be. And obviously he's a guy who's been hurt too. Um, But I guess my overall point is that defensive lapse that we've been talking about that the team has kind of been wrestling with. Suddenly you're looking at everybody and being like, okay, so where are all these extra points we need going to come from? And that's just tough because you have these a couple guys who just it hasn't been their M.O. to just pour in buckets night in and night out over the course of their Northwestern career. And I kind of feel like that's led to a little bit of a weird thing. I mean, Sammy talked about the discrepancy in um, points in the paint given up and scored, but you can kind of extrapolate and back out from that to just kind of points in general. If you look at our last two games, just as a, a point of reference, we won both of those games Um not shooting well from mid to long range. Um, I think we shot over 50% as a team against Minnesota, but we were only down at 43% against uh, Penn State. And in both games, we were pretty bad from three-point line. Yeah, it Um, it was 48% against Minnesota and and 29 from three. Right, and that's the thing. So, I mean, it's it's, you've got a couple guys like, I mean, McIntosh and Lindsey were just laying bricks from three-point land against Penn State. And you kind of wonder if a little of that is pressing. Um, and that, that, that's exactly where I, where I was going to go. And, and I think there's a really interesting corollary to what Clayton Thorson looked like in the, the beginning of the football season, holding the ball too long, trying to be a hero, like not, not taking what was in front of him. And like, we've joked a lot about the season being doomed the moment Northwestern got ranked, but the pressure that was, that was present this year for this team to perform and, and to make up for that loss on the defensive end by scoring more buckets, I, I think there's a really strong uh, analogy between uh, Brian McIntosh and and Thorson. Remember earlier in the year, McIntosh's uh, turnover rate was astronomically high. Yeah. Same thing on the assist front was really low compared to the Big Ten season last year. And I just think the whole team kind of got in the space of like, oh god, we got we got to do it again. And now, I, I mean, Penn State at home and on the road against Minnesota are. Uh, relatively easy matchups for this conference, but now that you know tournament play has essentially been eliminated for the Cats, you wonder if they're starting to play a little bit more re- more relaxed and not worrying about that end goal as much as they might have been a few weeks ago. 
Well, it's funny too. I, I think, you know, and again, this just reinforces what you guys were talking about relative to the defense and, and everything that we've been talking about, right? Is if you look across the box scores of the Penn State and the Minnesota games, in both cases, we've produced really balanced scoring. Um, you've got four starters in double figures, but no one scoring, I think, 20 points in either of those games. Yet four guys scoring at least 10 points. Reasonable production from the bench. We've gotten good play off the bench last game from Aaron Falzone, who didn't score against Penn State, but um, put together eight points all from the line uh, against Minnesota, which ended up being really key. But my point is, if you look at the individual box score for the Cats, you can easily look at the numbers and be like, oh, well, this is great. We're getting really balanced scoring. Everyone's doing kind of their part. Exactly what we were talking about. Exactly what the team was so good at doing last season. Well, then you look out and you're like, well, we scored 70 points against Penn State and we scored 77 points against Minnesota. This works when your defense is keeping the opponent down below a certain level. But if it's Creighton coming in, scoring 90 points, then this goes out the window. Because you can't give up points like that without somebody on your team going off to match it. And that's just not a reasonable expectation for the Cats. And I think the question down the stretch is, okay, is is this just Penn State and Minnesota? Or is this representative of... Um, the defense finally coming together and saying, all right, we're going to keep our teams, our opponents in the 60s and 70s, and that's going to let us do our thing on offense. I, I think the balance scoring that you bring up is a bigger factor, and, I, and I'm just going backwards in time, looking at you know when the Cats lost to Penn State, McIntosh scored 18, nobody else was in double figures. Uh, similarly against Nebraska, you had a couple guys in double figures. The Indiana game, I don't think a single player was in double figures. So Scoring I mean, 46, it's tough. Yeah, and and it's it's a very it's a very obvious point, right? Like, oh, we're not scoring that much, and we lost. But I think I think that concept of balance, and we, like, the fact is there is not a, a Trey Demps or a Trey Young or um a, just a, a John Sherna on this team. Like, we don't have, and you made this point very well, John. We don't have a guy to pour in points. So if we're gonna win, it has to be a combo platter. And um. Again, I you know it just it feels like this team is maybe a little bit more chill now. Maybe they just got lucky. Not lucky is the wrong word, but maybe you know they caught these two teams at the right time, and you know a much a much tougher stretch coming in the next in the next four games. But you never know. Hey, well, for what it's worth, right? Kind of pivoting forward. Obviously, we're about to dance with Michigan. We're going to be spending a lot of time on the dance floor with that partner uh, in the next couple of weeks, and. You know, you can easily look at Michigan and highlight, hey, this is a team that was briefly very hot. They picked up that huge road win over Michigan State where they really played lights out. But if you highlight all the games around that game, um, Michigan had a really close loss to Purdue at home. But it bears mentioning that in that game, they didn't hit 70 points. And in every other game since that Mississippi, that Michigan State game, uh, home for Maryland at Nebraska, home for Rutgers, not exactly a murderer's row. They have not gotten uh, to 70 points, not really even close. Maryland, they scored 67, but this is a team that went on the road to Nebraska and scored 52 points and got blown out of the building. Three um, points less than us in that same season. Yeah, right. And then uh, only hope. scored... And only scored 62 against Rutgers. I think, again, I'm not saying Michigan's not a great team. This is a team that 
just like last year, is capable of playing awesome basketball. But they're a team that's not scoring a lot of points right now. So if you're looking for a silver lining, you're saying, hey, if our defense has congealed and the balanced scoring has congealed in a way that is comfortable opposite that defensive output, the kind of offense Michigan State's playing right now plays into that. And um, I think that's important because in a season where huge opportunities are very rapidly dwindling. Uh, I think this road game against Michigan is a really big opportunity. So we got nine game left, nine games left in the regular season. Um, you know, sitting at 13 and nine, four and five in conference. Is it even worth like starting to speculate, starting to drill that forward? Or is that just, that's just not worth our time. We could, we we could run the table, but I, I just, I just don't think, the, the the likelihood of something like that happening, I mean, is is pretty remote. And I think I'd rather just kind of enjoy the moment. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, I'd rather just enjoy the moment game to game and say, like, hey, Brian McIntosh has been a warrior for this team. You know what he did, he, what he did for for the entire program, the athletics, everything last season. Um, same deal. You know, Scotty Lindsay has been phenomenal. We all love law and pardon the moments that they've had. Like let's let's root for these guys in in the moment and hope that they have a good end of the season. And we'll, I mean, for me, it's like you know the tournament is probably out. Like let's just not worry about it. And it's a lot easier to say that now <laughs> than it was two two or three years ago, right? Yeah, sure. I think one thing I will say is again, right? You can't just say, well, realistically, we have to win our next nine to get in. Yeah. You know, it's but but here's what I will say, and, and, and probably one more after that. I don't know. I mean, it, that would be two wins over a ranked Michigan uh, win against a ranked Michigan State. We lost it. We got blown out by Texas Tech. I mean, you know, we, we well, don't need so, to. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. So here's the situation that I'm circling in the short term, aspirationally. And even this is a really tall order. But this Michigan game is a really big game for me because were we to go on the road and pick up this really big win, the next game is on the road at a very mediocre Wisconsin team. A Wisconsin team that reasonably neutral court were better than this team. Uh, Wisconsin is, this is the worst Wisconsin team in years. And I think were, were we to go on the road and pick up this huge win against Michigan, um, then we've got this Wisconsin game, very winnable. And if those two things happened, we would then be hosting Michigan um, on a four-game win streak while everyone talked about reliving the pardon play, tap horn to pardon. Um, and that, to me, is the kind of thing where it's like, this team just hasn't had that positive moment, that like little congealing moment where all of a sudden everyone's excited again. And if you suddenly had... Oh, hey, now granted, if it was at Welsh Ryan, that would be a whole nother thing, and we're not going to get that this year. But still, you have that potential carrot of four-game win streak, hosting Michigan once again. Everyone's thinking about what happened when we hosted Michigan last year. And then, you know, you have a chance to, to, to try to put something special together. But again, it all depends on <clears throat> picking up this massive win at Michigan. Northwestern literally has failed on every single big opportunity this season. So this would be the first time, but, um, you know, better late than never. You talk about, uh, you know, remembering the last year's game against Michigan. Um, you know, last night, uh, as we record this on uh, Wednesday night, um, last night, 
Big Ten Network put out a really wonderful documentary on the men's basketball team last season, you know, focusing on, obviously, uh, the win over Michigan, kind of reliving all that. Uh, really, really cool to see. I thought, I mean, the documentary was very, very well done. Um, you know, the, the number of former players that they, they got to interview, current players they got to interview. Um, Collins was on there, very frank, very clear. Uh, Phillips, and then obviously the Northwestern media mafia, you would expect. Uh, Mike Wilbon, Christine Brennan, Mike Greenberg, Rachel Nichols, um, our good friend Darren Ravel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're all, you know, basically narrating the the feelings and the emotions of last season. That's just very, very well put together. And uh, another thing I, I really enjoyed from that documentary was kind of the, just the access that they, they gave the cameras, even going into the season. I mean, they, you know, were in the locker room behind the scenes, even as early as uh, Notre Dame uh, in that you know, tournament in Brooklyn where Taphorn had the opportunity to make a long distance pass to try and, you know, get the cats in, had that bad turnover and we end up losing. Um, and of course, did they harp on that you know, coming back for the Michigan game? Absolutely, because that's what you do. But uh, really, really nice nice documentary there. Yeah, I didn't get to watch all of it. Um, it was kind of funny because the, the game against Minnesota ended, and I just I happened to be just looking at my phone for a couple minutes, and then I looked up at the TV, and the doc had already started, and I thought, huh, what's this? Oh, um, and got excited, but then I went to bed. So I, I only saw maybe the first third... Uh, third or so, maybe half uh, of it. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I really, I was really impressed at how uh, many of the players' voices got in there. And I was, I was telling these guys earlier that I, you know, it was, it was really interesting to see Eschmeyer. Uh, Eschmeyer was kind of one word hallelujah response um, when talking about you know Chris Collins coming to Northwestern and uh, hearing Drew Crawford talk about his decision to come back and. Vic Law detailing some of his recruiting, um, Juice Thompson, and just talking about the way uh, the way Carmody worked, um, and just it was is a little bit of like a behind the scenes, but there was nothing that 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 surprised me either. Um, so that was really enjoyable. I think you know some of the the really well known sports personalities, uh, especially uh, Greenstein and um, Greenberg, Wilbon. Sorry, Greenberg. I always do that. Uh, Greenberg and Wilbon are, um, and of course, Ravel are a bit played out for for my taste. I, I was really happy to see Rachel Nichols have a bit of a, a prominent voice. Um, she's maybe newer to the uh, to the Northwestern sports Illuminati, um, just in terms of like the the profile that she's beginning with with uh, with her big NBA show on uh, on ESPN now. Um, but I, you know, I thought it was I thought it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I don't know that I was like blown away per se, but uh, I also didn't get to some of the really like momentous highlights that happened in the back half of that, like the Michigan game, et cetera. Yeah. It's worth, it's worth going back to finish the the back half of that. It's, it's really well done. Um, you know, one, you know, one thing that they focused on early and I, I was actually really happy to see just kind of the reactions of the former players talking about the Kevin O'Neill era and the the Bill Carmody era, and just how how rough the Kevin O'Neill era was. I mean, uh, we we were all there for uh, for that, 
Um, and we knew it was bad, but, you know, hearing, especially like from Evan Eshmeyer, um, a guy who played for Kevin O'Neill, kind of talking about uh, how he had to shield the younger players from some of the stuff that O'Neill was doing was just like, well, what? wow. Well, that he felt like he should have done more yeah. uh, on that front. And it just, um, I mean, the, the drop-off, for, for anybody who didn't experience it firsthand, the drop-off from Eshmeyer's senior year to the following season was, it, it was like free-falling out of a plane. Um, yeah, so we, we, and we were all on board, and I think, Sammy, your last year was, our sophomore year was just the, just the god-awful disaster following Evan Eschmeyer leaving that just led to just this gigantic implosion where, I mean, how many guys transferred out? Um, a, a ton of guys transferred out, a couple of whom ended up going to other places and being good basketball players. And it was just like, just a disaster. And I don't know, I think maybe part of it maybe is, is uh, I just because of topics we're going to get to a little bit, but with all this MSU and, and USAG stuff, I'm just like, I'm very sensitive right now to coaches getting away with being horrible people. And O'Neill was that kind of guy. And I think everybody is, I think, I, I think one good thing about the doc is I think it did a good job of capturing just kind of the train wreck of the O'Neill era. And then also a real kind of even handed look at the Carmody era for all its goods and its bads. Uh, and then pivoting into that. And I guess I, I, I kind of feel like if, if, if it was guilty of anything, maybe, um, I mean, and, and it's hard because, again, it was such a magical season last season. Um, but, you know, there are a couple of skeletons that are still that we've talked about at length that are still being sorted out uh, in the Chris Collins era. And, you know, I mean, I think we all have that stuff in the back of our minds a little bit. But, I mean, you can't none of us can deny the magic of last season. And obviously it's good to just be able to kind of swim in those waters for a while. Definitely. Um you you mentioned uh, Michigan State, and uh, this is you know, oh boy. not. Oh, I, I, I tee, tee me up. Yeah, I'm well below the label on my beer. The, <laughs> <laughs> um, the entire situation in Michigan State is an absolute mess. I mean, I by the time you you get down to it, and th- this is going to be a little like, how does this relate to the Penn State situation and I there's a lot of I mean there's scathing hot takes being thrown around on all sides and I'm trying to not like fall into oh this is worse I mean it's horrific what was going on uh with Larry Nasser and the uh, gymnastics program and the fact that you know a number of Michigan State uh people apparently knew what was going on and did nothing uh seven years yeah since sandusky seven goddamn years i so i could go so many different ways with this i mean first of all one of the things is as we say this just within a couple hours before we're starting to pod here uh michigan state's president is has announced that she will resign and when when the board of trustees gave their, I mean, it, just so pitch perfectly stupid, just so pitch perfectly big state school board of trustees when they gave their like vote of confidence to her. And I think it was something like 
Sammy, I think you texted us when they did that. And what I texted back to you guys immediately was, this is so dumb. We've all been down this road so many times before. We all know she's going to either get fired or resign. And the only people who don't are these idiots. And all that's going to happen is a week from now, she's still going to be gone. But they all gave us an opportunity to see just where their priorities are. So it's like, thanks, morons. Like, way to go. And, like, you know, subsequently, one of the MS... I'll go a step further. Graham Spanier's in effing jail. Yeah, right. Well, right. Exactly. No, exactly. But I mean... mean... Oh, oh, I know. (laughs) Like, these... Like, clearly... It's just so crazy. The the president of Penn State who, you know, and we don't, you know, they have nobody's proven in a court of law yet that she had evidence that this was happening and and didn't act. But uh, no, it's well. So that's the thing, right? I mean, it's it's not that she had evidence and didn't act as it was happening. Yeah, right. It's basically that it's just the classic. It's just so clear that the moment it started to blow up everyone's reaction was how do we protect the university and that's like and that's yep. the way it always is and these just jack wagons never understand that it's like no step up and eat it if you if you did wrong the only way to handle it is because it always comes out and you always swing and then you had this one MSU boost uh, MSU booster or not booster like he's on the board of directors talking about you know basically being like we've got a lot more important stuff to worry about than this Nasser thing and we've got a lot on our table and stuff and it's like oh my god just stop talking like what are you doing and and of course and it's just it all went down exactly how we thought it was going to go down and it's like when you've there's got to be someone like Bill Simmons always says just where's your VP of common sense where's the one person in the room who's like all right this is a really horrific situation like literally where is the human being in the room yeah, yeah right exactly who's who's just like okay it's time and I'll and and so I mean we can talk about MSU for a while and deservedly so but one thing that this shows is I mean for all the talk that always happens about revenue sports, football, basketball, things that are done, things that are done in the business of winning. I mean, this is not something unique to these sports. And, and I'm not saying that to give those sports a pass. I'm saying when you have situations where adults are allowed to – where adults basically I, – I guess how would you say it? Where the fact that they're being successful – is just this carte blanche to give them as much power as possible. Um, And then unlike even, I think, some of the worst parts of football, with this whole gymnastics mess, and this is Michigan State, is everything. It's just you're factoring little kids into the equation and this culture where it's like this guy. And I mean, ESPN had a fantastic article on it where this guy – Nasser, who's like one of the most horrific people you'll ever hear of, had this partner in crime where basically this guy, Getter, who was his associate, who is literally was the number one guy in U.S. gymnastics uh, for a long time until very, very recently, um, was this tyrant 
who just treated these girls like total garbage all the time and got away with it because he produced winners. And basically, Nasser was his right-hand man who would take the girls into his office and comfort them. And the girls felt like they could escape into his office and hide from this tyrannical coach. And then they end up getting molested when they escape into this guy's office. And it's not to say that Gettert knew what Nasser was doing. It's just like, here's a situation where you put all the pieces in place, where you established a situation where you're like, Here's a bunch of little girls. We don't really care what happens to them, just as long as there are wins and gold medals at the end. And then just expected that that wouldn't necessarily devolve to the worst possible places. And you know what? Maybe over the past 15 years, they would have gotten lucky and a sexual predator wouldn't have swum into those waters. But you know what? That's what happened. And the minute it happened, like, I mean, it's just like it, he, it happened because A, he's a despicable, awful human being. And two, he, it's the exact right situation. Like, because U.S. gymnastics, and by extension, the Michigan State gymnastics program, had established an environment where, like, these girls aren't really worth anything. And everything else just follows out of that. And it's just, ugh, it's just so gross. The, the, I, I retweeted a thread um, a few weeks back uh, from Victoria Jackson, who's a sports historian that works at uh, Arizona State. And I, I'll just read her tweet here because I thought it was really on point. The, the culture of athletic departments discourages, really disallows critical thinking. People are scared to say anything negative, anything to hurt the brand. Pretty iron- ironic, right? The business of higher education is critical thinking, and we permit one space on campus to issue it. I think that's really on point that, and and John, you kind of, you alluded to it earlier, or even said it outright that these athletic departments are set up and we've talked about this before, right? They're set up to breed scandal because they're allowed to operate with impunity uh, in this one space. And it's, it's winner take all. And like you, you just over and over and over again, they create and foster an environment where of course shit is going to go wrong because it's, set up so backwards and uh and without any sort of um accountability uh, overseeing these these decisions there's there's no ethical uh framework that that guides these people other than other than you know putting their hand up and saying yep i'm gonna do good and i i want to say too right that you've got these two and i kind of alluded to early but you have these two converging forces right michigan state is left holding a lot of the bag on this uh like deservedly so because a lot of these facilities were at Michigan state and a lot of these athletes were Michigan state athletes or, or non-Michigan state athletes using the same facilities, but it was all run by Michigan state. And a lot of these people deserve to be holding the bag for this and rightly so. But there's this convergence of, uh, basically the short of it is it's gymnastics culture. And, you know, you can extrapolate so much of this to larger sports culture as, as a whole, but gymnastics culture in this country. So I haven't read it, but my wife and my mother-in-law both read Dominic Mucciano's book, um, which I don't know, came out maybe like five or six years ago, something like that. And is just, she's just basically being like, let me pull all the wool off your eyes and show you exactly how awful the gymnastics program was, and basically it was just like the Carolis, right? Like Bella Caroli, Marta Caroli, who the Caroli Ranch, which is now 
starting to sound like the Branch Davidian God. Ranch. Like, oh my God, like, just sounding like the worst place ever. They're talking about, like, the USOC is just like, yeah, we've cut ties with them. Pour gasoline on that ranch and burn it to yeah, the ground. We cut ties, but we're going to make our gymnastics squad go back there for you know, oh my another God. couple like, events. Like, what light the- a match, <sighs> burn that ranch to the ground. But it's like, Dominic Mucciano's book, she's not talking about sexual abuse. But she's talking about, I was treated like crap, mentally and physically, as a young child, the entire time I was in that system. And so were all the other girls that were in that system. And my psychology, you know, psychologically, I was totally broken down. And she has copies of emails because guess who sent her emails after she published her book? John Geddert, Larry Nasser's like partner, <laughs> who was who and all his emails, which she saved, were basically like, good job, like Judas, like selling out all of your fellow like gymnastics people. I guess you just don't care. and You're just willing to like sell out like whoever. And then, and then you read where, like, I, I don't know, like, one of the girls of all these unbelievable, and Sammy, I just, Sammy just texted us the copy of, what is it, today's Detroit Free Tomorrow. Press? T- tomorrow's. Tomorrow's Detroit Free Press, where they're just on the front page putting the names of all of the unbelievable um, women and girls who stood up and given their testimonials. But one of them that just, and again, it's hard to even pick one because all the stories are so awful, but there was a girl yesterday who talked about faking an injury. Um, not faking an injury, injuring herself. I mean, it doesn't get any worse. She basically concussed herself uh, to try to avoid going to see Nasser because she knew she was going to um, be molested. And when she hurt herself, Marta Caroli's response was, you know, Kim Zemeskel fell out of the top bunk in 1992 and she didn't miss an hour of practice. And then Marta Caroli didn't talk to her for like the rest of the camp. Um, and it's just like, you... If that's the environment, you're just waiting for worse things to happen. Like, that is just the cesspool, uh, you know, just the petri dish in which you're going to grow just horrible situations. And, you know, now USOC has called for U.S. gymnastics to basically, they basically are just like, if you're in any position of power in U.S. gymnastics, step down. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, that's better what you do. You better fire every single person, burn that GD ranch to the ground, and then maybe we can talk about moving forward. So, I mean, spinning it back to to Michigan State here, I mean, I, I it's and and kind of to my original question is, you know, how do how can you relate this to Penn State, and you know, is where. And obviously, it's way too soon to even be uh, making comparisons and trying to draw conclusions. Um, you know, well, I mean, we, we well, we, it's well, it's it's what we just talked about, right? It's like it comes across your desk, and these people all go, "Oh dear God, what if like we lose funding or someone has to get fired because of this?" Like that's the thought process. Well, and this guy was, I mean, this guy was allowed to operate unchecked and I I haven't read enough to know what, what people may or may not have known along the way, but certainly there are red flags that had to have been raised over the past, you know, however many decades he's been there. And any red flag raised in the past seven years is highly criminal because of exactly what happened at Penn State. And so for me, it's, it's less of a, is this similar to what happened at Penn State and more, more that this is goddamn unforgivable that it happened after Penn State. I'll bring up another situation. How many Michigan State football players got kicked off the team for sexual assault last year? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been I've been yelling about Minnesota that their basketball coach was reluctant to suspend a player accused of three different sexual assaults after half the effing football team's defense got suspended two years ago. What is wrong with you people? Well, and I'll let's, say this let's too. not even mention Baylor. Well, and yeah, I'll say no, don't and get I'll, me don't I'll, and I'll, I'll really get mad. <laughs> and I'll say this too. This is why my blood was just boiling when everyone's lining up to like have Greg Schiano's back when the whole thing happened. And it's like you don't get how bad the culture was there. Like if if you think like it's like if he might have done this, he was part of just this horrific system that was in place that was just waiting for someone to take horrible you know, and it's like, it, and it's kind of like, sorry, my like worry isn't that Greg Schiano isn't going to be stained by this. Like my worry is about all the poor kids. And it's like the same thing. It's like, hey, president of MSU, like no one's like lining up to like have your back. And even in her reality, like she, you know, she puts the loaded language in her resignation letter. She's like, you know, once the media gets a hold of it and blah, blah, you know, and like once the media gets a hold of it, people are going to want someone to blame and stuff. And it's like, no, we're not like cattle. It's not just like this, like was just like the fam, the fa- the flames were fanned and it just got out of control. It's because this happened on your watch and there was a chance to do the right thing. And from the moment you've been thinking about like protecting the university and it's like, why doesn't once just someone be like, Oh my God, I'm just going to fall on my sword. I'm just going to publicly, I can't believe this. This has happened on our watch. Oh my gosh. I'm going to like, you know, just being like, who's got to be suspended. Who's got to do it. I'll tender my resignation right now if you want it. But if you'll have me, I'm going to make sure we clean this out top to bottom, you know, just, just once, why doesn't someone just try to handle it that way? And we'll just see how it goes. Just maybe, just based on the Penn State and Michigan State historical record, just be like, you know what, just this once, I'm going to try to do the exact opposite of everything these people did, and then we'll just see how it goes. I'll go one step further. Every administrator out there in any level of education needs to unturn every GD stone that they can to make sure that their system is not compromised. Look at how long Jerry Sandusky and Larry Nasser operated in plain sight. It's it's extreme negligence, and it's of, like the kind of, well and, of kids, and, it, and like it's just it's it couldn't be more wrong, and it couldn't be more um, like it's just a pathetic excuse at this stage that that people aren't actively searching not 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 that you should be searching out and and accusing people but make sure that you've got the policies in place that you've got the uh the expectations that if anybody says anything it is it is investigated and explored and victims are taken at their word and not you know told being told to to prove it or to uh that you know oh i you know We'll we'll get to that when we get to that. Like take this take this shit seriously, people. Ugh, just like Nasser was Michigan State allowed him to continue like after a lot of the allegations that came out had come out, they allowed him to continue, but there was a rule that there had to be a chaperone with him if he was ever alone with a kid. And it's like who Everyone stop- should be fired who, right there. Who, Everyone. Who stops who just whose desk does that go across where someone's like well, we've got a situation where there's a doctor 
who we can let see children, but only if there's a chaperone in the room. And it's just like, at that point, it's like, oh my gosh, like who reads that and just allows it? Oh, I just, again, it's just, it is, it's, it's those two largest things. It's what can happen in sports culture if you prioritize winning, you know, especially when children are involved. And then this corporate thing that hangs over, you know, where it's like loss, whatever, like loss prevention and protecting the flank is, is everyone's first thing. And it's just like, oh, it's just, just gross. So I want to, I want to let, let that go from now. Um, obviously, I, obviously I, I just, I just want to add one thing, spinning it forward positively yeah. before we move on. If USOC is looking to completely restock their leadership top to bottom. The Detroit Free Press has a page coming out tomorrow that is, you know, there it is. There's the list. If you're looking <laughs> if you're looking to completely restaff top to bottom, do you need 150 leadership positions? There you go. There's the list top to bottom. You can just cherry pick everyone off that list and you'll be good to go. Yeah, so it's it's a terrible situation, and you know, still a lot more is going to be coming out on it. And you know, I I feel like I've been actively not reading a lot about it just because how awful it is. Um, so let's let's leave it there for now and, and kind of revisit if we need to. I, I know the NCAA said they were going to start opening an investigation, and good. Who boy? Like, how about the Justice Department? Yeah. NCAA, yes. Because, uh, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The NCAA is going to look around and four years from now slap someone on the wrist who had absolutely nothing to do with anything. So, yeah. Uh, so with that cynical attitude uh, out of the way, uh, let's go ahead and uh, leave it there for this week and uh, head and continue our search for the Swoley Grail. <laughs> Well, for my final thought on the heels of, of that epic rant, <laughs> I, uh, I'll pivot again to, to more happy um, stuff or, or stuff that certainly was enjoyable to write and to have people talk about, which was um, we talked a little bit last week about the recruiting piece that I wrote and that we put up on the site. Um, it, we've got a lot of traffic this week. A lot of people have been talking about it. I think a couple of the different message boards of different recruiting sites have been talking about it, um, which is great. It's great to see those kind of comments. It's great to see people enjoying the material. Um, I think one of the really things we've really been enjoying is um, people kind of taking the stats and the things we've talked about and kind of spinning it forward and speculating and being like, oh, okay, so if we're talking about cold weather and recruits not liking cold weather, you know, how does the distance between this new lakefront facility and the lake and the lakefront practice field affect that? And, you know, it's great. It's just, it's cool that it's stimulating debate and stimulating thoughts. Um, we love that you guys are reading the stuff. Um, we've got more stuff coming down the chute. If there's anything in particular you'd like us to delve into specific stats, specific ways, you know, you'd like us to, to look at data or look at recruiting. Um, we'd love to hear it. So, you know, please reach out to us and let us know. Um, kind of dovetailing with the recruiting thing, uh, we wanted to mention a couple recruiting news and notes. Um, first of all, I don't remember if we had specifically covered it, but we picked up a late addition to the class of 2018 offensive lineman Sam Stovall. 
um, who we'd kind of known for a while that we were out there hunting for another offensive lineman to fit in this class. And it seems like we're we're kind of looking to add, a, I think, a, a cornerback as well late into this class. And we have a couple of offers out. We'll see how that goes. Um, Stovall was certainly not a, a huge offensive line recruit. And I think we've all been kind of bemoaning the lack of top quality offensive linemen we've been recruiting. Um, but he was a guy who had interest from a, a couple of major programs. Um, he didn't really have any huge offers. We're probably his biggest offer. Um, Florida Atlantic had offered him. Memphis had offered him. Western Kentucky had offered him. Certainly not a blue chipper by any stretch of the imagination. But, I mean, you never know. He might develop into something big. And it's, you know, this late in the game, he was a quality offensive lineman to pick up. And in kind of bigger recruiting news from the 2019 class, we picked up a really quality superback, Thomas Gordon from Houston, Texas, which there's that Houston, uh, fertile Houston recruiting ground that uh, has kind of really become a go-to area for us. I, um, I wonder if Venrick had anything to do with that. Hey, maybe. Those Houston Catholic schools, we seem to be doing pretty well there right now. But um, Gordon, it, he's rivals has him top 15 tight end recruit in the class. Uh, he's a big boy, 6'5", 225 is his list. Um, he had n- not a lot of huge offers, but again, this is still you know relatively early in the process. He did have Baylor offer, Iowa State offer, um, and a lot of the smaller schools in the Texas area. And remember... Um, Patty Fisher being just one example of this. Texas is weird because there are only so many recruits that Texas and Texas A&M and Texas Tech can offer scholarships to. And we've done a really good job of kind of finding that sweet spot. Possibly this is fodder for yet another recruiting article down the war, down the road. But Patty Fisher was an example of a guy, I think, you know, what Baylor was maybe his, his other best offer besides us. And he's clearly a guy who's going to be an amazing player for us. Well, Gordon is the same type of guy. Um, a guy who is really highly rated, yet possibly because of this geographical quirk does not have a ton of huge offers um, and uh, is a great addition to what's already shaping up to, to be a great 2019 class. Yeah, and I think um, we're hoping to faci- – I'm hoping to help facilitate a little bit more um, of these deep dives in recruiting by pulling together some of the data uh, that's out there to uh, give us something to work with going forward, keep uh, keep some of these perspectives you know, on the top-end recruits like John wrote last week, keep that updated, et cetera. So uh, look look for more from us on that front. Uh, for my final thought, I I was going to rant about the Vikings, but that feels anticlimactic after um, after our other rant. So you guys are going to get more uh, self-loathing Vikings fan. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So uh, Sunday's game really um, completed my matched set of horrific ways to lose NFC Championship games. Um, I now have two last-minute heartbreaking losses and two complete and utter collapses where the Vikings take something that is the best in the NFL uh, on the road to a NFC East opponent and completely and look the opposite. They look like the worst at that thing. They took the best offense in the NFL to New York in 2000 and scored exactly zero points. So, um, yeah, so Sunday was really, really, really disappointing <laughs> uh, for me. Um, Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I I've been looking I I'd been really looking forward to uh to the build up. Um the fact that the Super Bowl was in Minnesota, you know, like like everyone I know from Minnesota was talking about it, obviously. Like I'm I'm not saying anything here that's, you know, uh not meaningful, but yet again, um I'll never forget back in in uh 
1998. That was Randy Moss's rookie year. That was the the Gary Anderson didn't miss a kick until uh, he missed a kick in the NFC Championship game, and it cost us the game. Um, that year, the Super Bowl was in Miami, and radio stations in Minnesota had rewritten the lyrics to uh, Welcome to Miami, uh, the Will Smith song, and changed it to We're Going to Miami, and then, of course, you know, that catastrophe. So, um, I don't know. Is there is there another way to get, like, a bye to the Super Bowl? Because I, I think that's the only way the Vikings are ever going to make it again. Um, that's that's pretty much how it feels right now. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of depression in Minnesota. Um a lot of uh, a lot of disappointment uh, for the for the purple faithful. So, uh, with that, I'll just say, go Patriots! Yeah, Super Bowl is uh, not this weekend, but the next. Um, I you know it, it's interesting. You've got you know a lot of people who are just over the Patriots, but it's not like Philadelphia fans have completely engendered themselves to everyone out there so it's it's kind of like the terrible eagle fans versus the terrible patriot fans kind of you're picking the lesser of two evils and i'd say root for the meteor except that building in minneapolis is a beautiful facility and i don't want to i don't want to see u.s bank stadium ruined in any way i don't know it is killing birds at like uh record (laughs) record rates (laughs) so maybe you know maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing well, 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 I mean, at, at this point, I kind of just want like Belichick and Brady to win everything, uh, just to stick it to Goodell and uh, all the haters. I don't know. Um, the last thing I want is happy Eagle fans after Sunday. So maybe maybe that feeling will wane in the next ten days. It won't. But I don't. Won't. I don't expect it no. to. And you know, being on the a losing side of several uh, AFC Championship games against New England or several AFC playoff games against New England, I can't root for them in any way shape or form but um you know i i have nothing really to make me root for philly either so i'll i'm just gonna enjoy the booze enjoy the food at uh, whatever parties we end up going to and uh enjoy the company because it is the last football game for a really really long time football is dead until the summer long live football (laughs) Uh, for my final thought, uh, I want to give a little shout out to uh, Northwestern Wrestling, um, ranked number twenty in the country uh, right now, uh, taking on Minnesota, who's ranked number fourteen uh, this upcoming Sunday, uh, heading up to Minneapolis. Um, yeah, Northwestern Wrestling very quietly uh, having a, a wonderful year. Several uh, several uh, guys are ranked. Um, Sebastian Rivera at 125 pounds is uh, ranked number 10 in the country. Uh, Ryan Deacon at 149 is ranked number 5. Uh, Johnny Sebastian is uh, at 174 is ranked number 18. Um, so it, it, there's some real, real talent there. Uh, Sebastian Rivera uh, has, has only lost one uh, match this entire season. Um, Ryan Deacon is 23 and 3. So, uh, I, I can't. I can't say I can really go deep into how wrestling works. I mean, but uh, the fact that we're ranked number twenty and we've got four uh, nationally ranked wrestlers on the on the squad is uh, something to triumph, something to crow about. So 
that's what. Well, that's it's what pretty I'm interesting. Do. It's pretty interesting too because we had a pretty strong wrestling program in years past, but then there was this weird fallout where you know the coach kind of got fired out of nowhere. We're not. I, I, I'm still not sure if there were any like real public things that came out about what that situation was, but uh, Matt Storniolo was uh, was elevated to head coach after you know he'd been on the staff for six years. He was interim uh, to finish out the 2016 season. This is just his second season at the helm, and um, obviously the program is is really benefiting under his guidance. So that's uh, that's really exciting to see after what was a pretty huge bump in the road for um, what it had been at least at least a strong program, if not like a highly successful one. Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com to leave comments and questions. You can find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter at Westlot Pirates. You can give us a call on our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Bryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.